Jesus Christ as the head of the body, the church. And for in him all the fullness of God dwelled. And as we worship this morning, I invite us to just put aside the cares uh, that may have brought us here and uh, that may be of the week ahead or the week behind us and just focus on uh, God this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we come uh, to worship recognizing that you are uh, uh, the God of the universe and we are just beginners in faith. We also acknowledge that you are the head of this body, the church, and you are uh, the one who brings hope in the midst of our despair. You're the one who brings light into our lives after a long season of darkness. So uh, begin a new thing in us today, new ways of thinking, new ways of living, new ways of being a church that impacts this community. Uh, we pray as, as people who long for peace, the peace that passes all understanding, and invite you to meet us in this time of worship this morning and bring life into our weary souls. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Back in the fall of 2006, our youngest daughter, Whitney, uh, was living and going to school in Center City, Philadelphia, while she was doing an internship for her fall semester. One weekend that Jan and I visited her, we decided to go down to the historic district on Sunday morning to worship at St. George's United Methodist Church, one of the oldest United Methodist congregations in the nation, having been frequented by many of our founding fathers like George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and others. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that as I was looking for a parking place, I found one lot open a couple of blocks from the church right behind a very plain but sizable stone building, which I discovered after seeing just a small nameplate on the sidewall was the U.S. Mint. Now my mind started to wonder, you know, I was curious about security inside because there didn't seem to be a lot on the outside. Uh, and I could just imagine pallets, you know, of $5 bills and $10 bills and rolled coin all over that building. And I thought of that, the, uh, that the people working there must really feel like they're doing some serious stuff. After all, these are the folks entrusted with the production and management of our nation's currency. Sometimes our finance team here at church, I think, feels a little bit like that because they've been given the responsibility to be good managers of the resources that the people of this congregation have given to God through Redeemer Church. And they do a great job keeping our operation lean and taking all the necessary steps to ensure that there's integrity in every step of the process. Maybe you're like me and you've also felt that, uh, that same kind of feeling at times on a personal level, feeling the awesome weight of responsibility for the resources that God has entrusted to our care. You know, the Bible says that God wants to bless our lives, and he has given each of us a certain amount of financial resources to manage. And I think we can't be reminded often enough that we are managers. We are not owners of God's creation. And when we manage in God's way, he promises to protect us and bless us. Have you ever walked up to someone and said, hey, what have you been up to lately? And they respond by saying, oh, a little of this and a little of that. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? This and that. What does someone mean when they say this and that? 
I would invite you, if you'd like to, open your Bibles this morning to follow along. We're in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and it's the story of one of our ancestors in the faith, a man by the name of Abraham. Our teaching series this summer is going to be on the life story of this spiritual giant named Abraham. And today, I want to give you just a preview of what we'll talk about in more detail in the coming months. The story begins in Genesis chapter 12, and I want to read the first three verses. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, here's how I read this story. God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, leave your hometown, leave your farm, leave your relatives, leave your father's household, leave all of this, and I'm going to give you that. This and that. Abraham, I have something incredible that I want to give you. I'm going to bless your socks off. But first, you need to leave this behind so that I can give you that. So what did Abraham do? Well, Abraham was a man who had some resources. By the standards of his day, he was mega wealthy. The Bible said that he was heavy with gold, heavy with silver, heavy with cattle. Abraham's operation was a Fortune 500 company. But after hearing God's call to leave it all behind and follow in faith, Abraham discovered something that some of us have also discovered, and that is that partial obedience is problematic. Partial obedience is really disobedience. Abraham didn't really want to leave all of this to get to that. So he decided to take a lot of this with him on his way to try to get that. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse 5, these words. And I want you to read it with me. It's the bottom part of the screen. Here's what it says. Read it with me. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Here's the wisdom of this scripture. I've got to trust. That's the this. I need to trust God. The trust means to weigh in with everything I'm about. I am to trust God, and if I trust him, God will do that. He's going to make my path straight. He's going to make my path smooth. On down to verses 7 and 10 in that same chapter, says, Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Here's again, there's the this and the that. I trust God, that's the this, and I'm going to get that. God will straighten out the paths of my life. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that I can't always rely on what I see. I have to rely on what God has said. I am to honor God with my financial resources, and if I do this, God will give me all that he's promised. My life will be blessed. It will be filled with every good thing. If I do this, God will give me that. It's really quite simple. 
Now, it's very interesting to look at all the different promises in the Bible and the covenants that God has made with people, and some are unconditional. Others, though, are conditional. In the conditional covenants, it's about this and that. You do this, and I'll give you that. But as I said, Abraham did not fully leave everything behind. He thought he knew better than God. Or at least he wasn't sure if he could go so far as to trust God completely with his life. And so he kept some of the stuff for himself. God said, leave your country, leave your, fellow, uh, leave your family, leave your relatives, leave your father's household. Why? Because Abraham was clinging to too much stuff. Here's the point. If we've got a lot of this world's stuff with us, we can never get to where God wants to bless us because we're not in the position to receive anything. We're trusting in our own wisdom, in our own abilities, and all the stuff that money can buy for us, and we're expecting that that's what's going to bring us happiness. And that's what Abraham was doing. He was holding on to all this. But Abraham had a nephew. He was also very close to, and the nephew's name was Lot. Both had amassed great wealth. They stuck pretty close together, but remember what God told Abraham Leave your father's household, leave your relatives, but he didn't do this either. He brought Lot with him, and Lot caused him some pretty serious problems. Now, I want you to picture again two Fortune 500 companies making their way through the Middle East, traveling around with massive herds and flocks and camels and servants, but there were some anxieties and some stresses that began to develop between these two camps, so Abraham said, wait a minute, Lot, why don't we just split up? I'll give you first choice. You choose one way, and I'll go in the opposite direction. So Lot went his way, and the Bible said, says that Lot pitched his tent toward the city of Sodom. Now, Sodom was one of five cities on the plain of the Jordan River in the southern part of Canaan. The land was fertile. It was good for grazing. But Sodom was well known for its gross immorality, sexual deviancy, and moral depravity. Three things. What three things to be known for as a city? The people there have been described as uncompromisingly greedy, lacking compassion, wealthy, and arrogant toward the things of God. So this was somewhat of an unbelievable decision by Lot. He knew how wicked the city of Sodom was, but he said, well, you know, I'm not going to move there. I'm just going to kind of move toward there. I'm going to stay on the outskirts of Sodom. But it wasn't long until he became a resident of this city. Well, Abraham went the opposite direction, ignoring God's command, taking as much as he could take with him, but he didn't get far until he heard that four kings and their men took Lot and all of his possessions captive. So Abraham had to uh, intervene and chase them down, and ultimately he was able to rescue Lot and retrieve his possessions and his family. But in chapter 14 of Genesis, we read, after Abraham returned from defeating the kings who had taken Lot and his family captive, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem and most high priest of God, also came out to meet him, bringing bread and wine and giving thanks to God for Abraham's victory. Here's two very different rulers. 
one from the, one of the most perverse cities on earth and the other from uh, the city of Jerusalem. So verse 19 says, Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. And then in the very next verse, verse 20, says uh, this, and read it with me, it's on the bottom. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Gave him a tenth of everything. The Bible says that he brought God's portion, the best that he had, to Melchizedek lovingly and generously and strategically. He wasn't clinging to his wealth as much as he once did. He still has a lot of stuff, but he's doing some stuff right for a change. He recognizes the source of his blessing. But remember what I said earlier, partial obedience is still disobedience. And God is teaching Abraham a very serious lesson. He gave a lot of stuff to Melchizedek, but Abraham is still holding a lot of stuff back from being totally committed. So what does it mean for us to be blessed? Last week I told you that it means to be on the receiving end of the tangible and intangible favor of God. Whenever we see that word faith or trust in the Bible, somewhere around it we're going to see something tangible. Our soul our, our, uh, is, is an in, intangible, but it's influenced by the tangible. God always tests us in the tangible things of life. Abraham had lots of resources. This guy, as I said, was super wealthy. So God tested him and found that he was still clinging to what he owned. He was clinging to all this stuff. Yes, he'd parted ways with Lot. That was a step in the right direction. He'd given a tenth of his wealth to the high priest to be used for the place of worship, but he still had a lot of stuff that was getting in the way of his experiencing the full blessing of God. Now the story goes on in chapter 15. Abraham was married to a woman by the name of Sarah. And if you read more about his life, you'll see some interesting things. I'm going to give you just the Cliff Notes version of this today. Sarah was really something else. God had promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And God was doing that. It was through Abraham that the nation of Israel occurred. And through the nation of Israel, we have the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, there's you and me. So you see, God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And, but when God made that promise, Abraham had a difficult time figuring out how it was all going to happen. Because he and Sarah didn't have any kids. And they couldn't. Sarah was infertile. Well, remember what we said, partial obedience is problematic because it's really disobedience. Sarah decided to take matters into her own hands. Sarah had a, a beautiful maid by the name of Hagar. One day Sarah came up to Hagar and said, Hagar, listen, I have relations with Abraham because if you sleep with him, I know you'll get pregnant and he'll have a family and he'll have some, someone to give his great wealth to and he'll have an heir finally. Partial obedience is really disobedience. God never blesses stuff like that. So Abraham and Hagar got together and, got, and Hagar had a child. Now think about this. Abraham was trying to get the blessing of God, but he wasn't able to trust God enough that God would fulfill that blessing. So he tries to help God out. And once Hagar had her son Ishmael, you're talking about one of the all-time great cat fights that ensues. Sarah and Hagar come to a parting of the ways. You see, Abraham was just a little messed up. Partial obedience is always problematic, and it usually leads to disobedience. 
However, full court obedience will lead to favor and faith and living in the zone of God's blessing. God is a patient God. Even though we mess up, even though we sin, even though we try to bring some of this stuff with us to try to get him to bless us, God surprisingly does bless us a little. But God doesn't want to just bless us a little. He wants to rain down his blessings on us. And because we have so much of this, so much self, so much we're trying to hold on to, so much we're trying to control, God has to hold back the blessings that he wants to pour out on us. But God always tests us, doesn't he? A faith cannot really be trusted until that faith is tested. Check out Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you by which I guarantee to give you countless descendants. Now, isn't that interesting? He'd already messed around with Hagar. Now God's saying, okay, Abraham, start walking with integrity, brother. You've got to live the life. You can't just have a lot of this if you want to get to that. Follow me. If you do this, I'll give you that. God said, walk before me, a life that's blameless, and I'll confirm my covenant between you and me, and I'll greatly increase your numbers. God wants to bless your life and mine. Christianity is not a bless me club. It's not some kind of holy huddle. This faith is ours is really about other people, isn't it? We don't come to church and we don't live the Christian life and we don't bring our tithes and offerings to God just so God can bless us and make us more comfortable. We, we are blessed. Why? So we can be a blessing to others. God blesses us so that we can get outside of ourselves, outside of this place where we worship on Sunday morning and do what God wants to do and that is to bless other people. So God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and Sarah with a child. You're going to have a baby. And Abraham was like, Man, I am too old for this. But sure enough, Sarah got pregnant. She had Isaac. He was the apple of Abraham's eye. Their firstborn. Isaac grew up, uh, started to grow. He was a young child. Uh, uh, Abraham was so excited. Everything was just cruising along fine. It was amazing. Uh, then God decided it was time to test Abraham's faith. Now you think about Abraham's life, way back there he's clinging to this wealth and he's, his possessions and he's clinging to his nephew Lot and he's clinging to Hagar and now he's beginning to learn a little bit about what it is to walk by faith. And God says, Abraham, I want you to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son Isaac to me. Do it for me. Wow, God is really testing the, the tangible here, isn't he? So what did Abraham do? Did he cling to Isaac? No, the Bible says Abraham got up, he took Isaac to Mount Moriah, and he's just getting ready to take his own son's life when God says stop. And God provided a ram whose horns were caught in the brush, and Abraham took Isaac off the altar, he put the ram in its place, he sacrifices the ram, and Abraham names the place God will provide. Partial obedience is always problematic. Total obedience is all about the provision of God. God always tests you and me. He tests us in tangible ways. He tests us with our money and with our toys and with the abundance of possessions. And the question is, are we clinging to it or are we bringing it to God? That's the big question, to cling or to bring. 
We all have stuff, different size piles maybe, but we all have tangible stuff. So what are we doing with our stuff? God says, you do this and I'll give you that. What is it in your life that you're holding on to today? What is it maybe that you need to stay away from or even run away from? Maybe you're trying to hang on to a lot of the stuff of this world thinking that you're going to, that's what's going to bring you security and happiness. What do you need to do in order to move from partial obedience to full obedience? How about your resources? How about the tangible stuff in your life? Have you weighed in totally for God? Are you trusting God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength? Are you going by what you can see or by what God has said? Because if we go by what we see, our paths are not going to be straight. If we go by what God has said and trust him, we'll have a straight path and a smooth path and we'll receive the tangible blessing of God in our life. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be this or that? That's really the question. You know, we have an amazing opportunity before us here at Redeemer. Next weekend is Consecration Sunday, and it will be our opportunity to commit to give back what is rightfully God's over the next 12 months to this incredible place, tangibly demonstrating our support for this ministry that God has put before us. If you're not part of Redeemer Church, as I said earlier, if you're a guest here, I want you to know that no one's going to pressure you or put you on the spot about giving to this church. But for those of us for whom this is our church home, it's our time as a congregation to pray, to think about what we will commit uh, to this congregation. We have the ability right now to do so much more ministry than we're even currently doing. We have all the resources that God has blessed us with. It may come in different sized piles, but God has blessed each of us. And for some of us here, $1,000 may be a monstrous commitment. And that could be the best gift that we receive the whole year. Because it represents the fact that you have stepped out in faith and you've decided to trust God even though you can't see how it can happen on paper. But for others here, $5,000 is not even showing up. It's not much of a stretch when you look at your household income. Maybe you have a lot more in your portfolio than you're willing to let go of, just like Abraham and just like, uh, and you want to follow Christ, but you also want to bring these worldly possessions along with you. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning, please. I'm not trying to get into your pocketbook. I'm trying to get into your heart. The amount you give is not what is significant. It's the amount that we have left over. It's not what we're willing uh, to, uh, to bring. It's what we're willing, uh, not willing to surrender to God that's really important in God's eyes. God doesn't need our money. He is all-powerful, and he could fund this church in some other way if he wanted to, but God has blessed you, and God has blessed me, and it's critical that we honor him with what's rightfully ours, or right, rightfully his. And that's how spiritual our spiritual life grows. Why are you blessed? Why am I blessed? Have you really thought about that? As I said last week, you know, we're not all that smart. Uh, we have some success, but you know what? The success of, that we've had in this congregation is really God's blessing on us. We're blessed to be a blessing. It's about the graciousness of God. Should we enjoy the fruits of our labors, the tangible stuff that we have in life? Sure, God wants us to but we're also to bring to the local church what rightfully belongs to him. God gave his best, his firstborn, Jesus Christ. 
and he, dedic- and, and he directed that gift to the local church. You know, I firmly believe that the hope of the world is all about the local church. It's not about legislation, it's not about government, it's not about education or what any of those things can do for us. It is about God changing hearts of people. It's about transformation. We have the opportunity to step up and weigh in and trust God and do something that few churches are able to do today, and that is setting an example of faith for others to follow. And I'm talking about getting outside of ourselves, getting outside of this bless me mentality and thinking about others and doing stuff that Jesus has called us to do. As I said last week, everything we have here at Redeemer didn't just appear by accident out of nowhere. People like you, people before you who have stepped up and brought the tithe and brought their offerings have made all of this happen for us. This church was planned for you and can And we're continuing to plan for Redeemer Church to be a place for the people who haven't even shown up yet. God has blessed my life, and more than once in my ministry, I've heard God say, Rod, lead by example. And that's what we've tried to do, and I'm thrilled to do it. I learned a long time ago that you cannot argue with God. So why are we blessed? It's to make, is it to make more deals? Is it to make more money? Is it to make... Uh, have nice vacations or nice things and buy our kids the latest and greatest of everything? Or is it to see people's lives changed, transformed by the power of the gospel? To feed the hungry, clothe the naked, bandage the wounds of those who are hurting, give hope to those who are oppressed. That's what the local church is about. So what does God want you to do? You're blessed, and I'm blessed to be a blessing. Some of you here have never gotten into God's divine economic cycle, which is an amazing place to fall into, to be in that blessed place. Maybe you're here today saying, Rod, I don't want to be a person who's who's clinging to all this stuff. I want to be a person who's bringing God's portion. And I'm telling you, God is basically saying, bring it on, folks. Step out in faith and trust me like you've never trusted me before and just watch me unload the blessings of heaven in your life. One last thought about Abraham's life. It's almost as if God you know, draped his arms around Abraham and said, Abraham, imagine what's gonna happen in your life. I am blessing you so that you can be a blessing uh, to others. And just think about the impact that Abraham's life had once he totally left that stuff that it was possessing him to get in the place of total obedience, total surrender to God, and God began to bless him in abundance. I hope that you think about that today and think about Jesus and think about your own salvation and think about what Abraham learned over a period of years about investing. He knew it was not about ownership. He discovered that it was about management. And because of that, God began to bless him in incredible ways. And that's exactly what God wants to do for each of us. Let's pray. God, you have been at work in this world from that first day of creation up until now. And so many lives down through the centuries have been shaped by your hand. People going beyond what's possible, walking by faith, changing the course of history in ways big and small. We call them saints, but it was you behind them all. You're an awesome God. So forgive us today for our disobedience and failure to recognize you as the giver of every good gift. 
Forgive us for missing the many ways that you desire to bless our lives because we're busy trying to run our own lives. Help us to learn how to be obedient to you in every area of life, including the tangible things that you put into our hands, and help us to understand that only as we grasp the fact that we are managers and not owners can you bless us and make us a blessing to others in a way that will make a difference both in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And God, we give this day to you. Amen.